Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I get into any of that, I want to give a quick prayer and condolences to the families that lost uh, loved ones, children this past week from a um, mass school shooting in Texas. I will be getting more into detail on that on Sunday, but I could not fathom not starting to show off what at least giving my condolences to those families that lost um, children, but I will be getting into that um, more tomorrow. Um, but now getting into the show on raw, we had riddle coming out for an in-ring promo. Uh, riddle is distraught. He comes out and he mentions how, um, Randy's been having a hard time and mentions that Randy's been dealing with back problems. And that's the reason why we won't be seeing Randy for some time. Now riddle mentions how Randy was dealing with back problems for some time. And riddle knew this going into their match with the Usos last Friday on SmackDown for the title unification matchup. But he saw, that Randy didn't want to let go of the opportunity because he knew that Randy saw how much it meant to Riddle, so Randy just stuck with it, and he wants everybody to know that he doesn't know if RK-Bro will be a thing again, but he wants to give his appreciation to Randy uh, as Randy's home recovering. Riddle does mention that the Usos did win the tag titles, but gives them all the credit in the world, but he doesn't like how they won the tag titles with Roman interfering and basically giving them the titles on a silver platter, and Riddle therefore makes it his mission that before his career is done, he will get back at anyone associated with the bloodline. So we know we're bound to get Riddle going against the Usos and Roman. So more or less, we're probably going to get Riddle going against Roman more or less at Money in the Bank. I see that's where we're going to be building to that. But as soon as Riddle gets done with this, we get our six-man tag matchup of Riddle teaming up with the Street Profits going against Sami Zayn, who still wear the bloodline t-shirt, and the Usos. Um, Riddle would win the match for his team when the Usos would leave Sammy by himself in the ring towards the end of the matchup because they didn't want to deal with Riddle because Riddle would constantly go after the Usos in this matchup. He wasn't paying too much attention to Sammy. He would just go directly towards the Usos. So the Usos had enough. They leave Sammy. They basically eat an RKO by Riddle in the middle of the ring while Riddle covers him and pins Sammy for the win. After this, we will have a Bobby Lashley entering promo. And the main point of this is that Bobby Lashley hypes up his matchup with Omos at Hell in a Cell. He calls out Omos and MVP, and he lays down the almighty challenge to them. The challenge is that he wants to face MVP later in the night, and that the winner of that matchup will pick the stipulation for Omos and Lashley's match at Hell in a Cell. MVP doesn't want to do it, but Bobby goats. MVP into accepting the challenge, which he does. So later in the night, we would get MVP versus Lashley. After this, we would get a Judgment Day in-ring promo. You got Edge, Priest, Rhea Ripley all out here. And again, they're out here to give their mission statement. And Edge basically lets everybody know that they're sheeps and that they wait for somebody to tell them what to do and that they don't grab life by the throat and squeeze everything that they can out of it. And that Edge extends a all the branch to anybody in the back in WWE to basically come over to his side and learn under his learning tree. And you can recreate yourself and gain knowledge at the exact same time. Edge then starts throwing out names of people that could possibly join him. He says Tommaso Ciampa, someone like a Corey Graves, a Drew McIntyre, Alexa Bliss, Liv Morgan, Finn Balor. And then he again makes the plead to AJ Styles. 
He tells AJ that he needs to join him shoulder to shoulder because it's better to stand with him than stand on the opposite side of him. And once he says this, we would hear Liv Morgan's music hit. And now it's time for our mixed tag team matchup of the night. Liv Morgan and AJ Styles going against Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest, who has Edge in their corner. Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest would win the match by pinfall when Liv was going to hit Oblivion on Rhea, but Edge held Rhea's uh, tights to make sure she wouldn't fall on the mat. So Liv basically fell back first on the mat, and then Rhea covered her for the win. After the match, Edge would get in the ring and start mocking Liv, and AJ would get in the ring and start attacking Edge. So now Edge is being beat up by AJ. Rhea and Priest would jump AJ, so now it's a three-on-one beat down. And you see Edge and Priest hit their spear leg sweep combo. And then you see Edge would hold AJ by the face and tell him that he needs to watch this as Rhea would hit Liv Morgan with the Riptide. And then Judgment Day would stand tall as AJ and Liv are laid out on the mat. Inconspicuous by his absence is Finn Balor in this situation. I don't know if Finn was uh, not there for this week or they he was in the back or whatever the case may be. But a- AJ and Liv got their butt beaten. and. Finn Balor wasn't there, so this does give some credence that Finn could be the next guy to join Judgment Day. I see AJ probably going to pump up on Finn next week on Raw because they still got one more Raw until Hell in a Cell, so I can see AJ basically get at Finn for basically leaving them both high and dry. I don't know if that's going to happen on Raw next week. I'm just throwing it out there that they probably should put that in there just in case. Uh, After this, we get Jerry the King Lawler's uh, King's Court. And that's basically Jerry Lawler asking a guest questions. And that's uh, what we get here. And the guest for this was Veer Mahan. This uh, segment allowed us to hear what Veer sound like. Jerry Lawler would try to ask Veer questions, but Veer wouldn't answer at first. But then as soon as you start seeing Jerry uh, poke fun at Veer by calling him Harry, and that's what he said that he heard from the Mysterios, Veer would grab the microphone from Jerry and basically tell him he's not here for fun and games. He attacked the Mysterios because he see Ray as a legend, but he's gotten soft because he's been looking after his son. And Veer says that, you know what? He wants to beat up on Jerry so he can give Jerry a visual representation of what he means by this. So he wants to beat up on Jerry. He looks like he's stalking him, but the Mysterios come out. They... Get into the ring. Well, no. Veer Mahan leaves the ring. They beat up on Veer on the outside of the ring. Veer tries to hold them both off, but it's two on one. The numbers game does get on Veer, and Veer will have to basically retreat. So the Mysterious came to Jerry Lawler's aid in this. The segment was all right. I'm not going to hate on it as bad as I want to because Veer is still not a mic guy. He's still got to get used to talking on the mic in front of everybody. Um, I just wish that the Mysterios would have just came out a little bit earlier than it seemed because it looked like Veer was going to put hands on Jerry because that music took a little bit too long. But uh, I just think that they need to work on the timing of that. After this, we get Alexa Bliss going against Nikki A.S.H. with Dewdrop in her corner. Alexa would win the match by pinfall when she hit Twisted Bliss, which is a sideways splash from the top turbo on Nikki A.S.H. for the win. This is another win column. Well, another win for the win column of Alexa Bliss since she's been back on Monday Night Raw in the last two weeks. So now that she is now 3-0 on Raw. After this, we have Cody Rhodes going against The Miz. And Cody would win the match by DQ when Seth got involved. 
as Cody was going on the top turnbuckle and the Miz was on the outside of the ring. And it seemed that Cody was going to try to hit a moonsault. Uh, Seth would run down the ramp, get on the ring apron, and push Cody off the turnbuckle. And Cody would land on the outside of the ring, hitting the barricade. The referee would call for the bell when that happens. Seth would then run over to Cody and start beating up on him. Cody would be able to get on his feet and start throwing some shots on him, but Cody would then be outnumbered once the Miz started joining on joining with Seth and beating on uh, Cody. Seth and Miz would throw Cody into the steel steps. Cody's knee would hit the steel steps, but it would send Cody flying over the steps and have Cody uh, hit the mat back first, so it made a nice thud onto the mat, and it sounded like it hurt. Uh, Seth and Miz started to walk away because they got their point across, but you see Seth like stop in the middle of the rampway and he just walks back. He goes and looks at the kid that Cody gave his weight belt to in during uh, his entrance and he grabs Cody's weight belt from the kid and he walks over to Cody who at this time was using the commentary table to get back to his feet. And once Seth got back to Cody, Seth would hit Cody in the back with the weight belt one time and hit Cody's back with a nice thud. And then you see Seth throw the weight belt right to the side of Cody and then start walking away. The camera people would pan over to Cody and Cody would try to get himself together. The referee would ask him, does he need any help getting to his feet? He would just tell them no. He couldn't put all the weight on both of his ankles or both of his feet. So he had to like hobble with one foot and put a little bit of weight on the other foot, but not too much. And you see Cody pick up the weight belt. He walks over. He hands the kid back the belt. And he starts walking to the back. So this is, again, adding more fuel to the fire of their matchup of Cody and Seth at Hell in a Cell. Again, this is a match that everybody wants to see in Hell in a Cell more than anything. After this, we get Ezekiel going against Chad Gable, who had Otis at ringside, as well as Kevin Owens by commentary. Ezekiel would win the match by pinfall thanks to Kevin Owens and Otis being ejected from ringside. Once the referee injected both of them from the ring, Chad Gable had to focus his attention back on Ezekiel, and Ezekiel would get Chad Gable in a roll-up for the win. After the match, Otis and Kevin Owens would run back to the ring, and Ezekiel would run out of the ring and run into the crowd, and this would lead to Kevin Owens getting the mic and challenging Ezekiel to a match at Hell in a Cell. Ezekiel agrees, so we get that matchup of Kevin Owens versus Ezekiel at Hell in a Cell. After this, we get Lashley going against MVP with Omos in his corner. Remember, the stipulation for this is that the winner picks the matchup that Omos and Lashley will be having at Hell in a Cell. MVP will win the match by countout when Lashley and MVP went outside of the ring, and Lashley had MVP on the shoulders and drove MVP's shoulder first into the ring post. Lashley would then throw MVP back in the ring as the referee was counting them out, and the referee got to the count of eight. And by this time, Omos tried to clothesline Bobby, who's on the outside of the ring, but Bobby would duck it. You start seeing Bobby punching Omos over to the side of the timekeeper's uh, area, and you see him clothesline Omos over the timekeeper's area. And when he does this, the referee happens to count 10 and count out Lashley. So MVP does win the matchup. So MVP will be picking the stipulation for Lashley's and Omos's match at Hell in a Cell. After the match, you would see Lashley get back in the ring and he starts walking up on an unknowing MVP because MVP is gloating to the fans because he mentioned how he could beat Lashley earlier in the night. And he does this, but as he's gloating, MVP walks back 
on a standing Bobby Lashley, and he feels the presence of Lashley, and Lashley looks and locks in the hurt lock on MVP, and MVP can't move out of it. He starts tapping, and Lashley throws MVP to the ground, and Lashley's the last man standing in this situation. Now it's time for the main event of Monday Night Raw. It is Asuka going against Becky Lynch, and the thing for this is that if Becky wins tonight, she gets added to the championship matchup at Hell in a Cell, making it a triple threat match for the Raw Women's Championship, which that will be happening because Becky would win the match by pinfall when Bianca was outside the ring and she was sitting at ringside. Becky and Asuka were outside fighting around the ring and you see Asuka try to lock in the Asuka lock on Becky, but Becky will push off of Asuka and you see Becky sit like on Bianca to gain her breath. Asuka would then see Becky, try to hit her with a roundhouse kick, but Becky would duck, and Asuka would end up hitting Bianca in the head. Bianca will hit the ground. Becky would then get back in the ring. Asuka looks, uh, she looks confused by this, and she knows that she didn't mean to kick Bianca in the head, and as the referee's counting up to nine, Asuka would run back in the ring, roll into the ring, and lay on the mat, and Becky would get on Asuka, roll her up for the win, and now we got a triple threat match at Hell in a Cell for the Raw Women's Championship. I didn't like the finish because when Asuka ran in, she just like literally just like laid there like a dead fish on land. She didn't put up a fight or anything. It was really weird. The The ending didn't feel right. I understand that we were going to get a triple threat match at Hell in a Cell for the Raw Women's Championship, but I just wish they could have put a little bit more energy and a little bit more creative uh, thinking into that ending of that matchup but hey it is what it is we're not going to get Asuka going against Bianca Belair one-on-one matchup uh we're not going to get a solid one because we got that what two weeks ago but it got ruined by Becky so I think they probably want to say that for like a SummerSlam if anything else so I'm cool with them giving us a triple threat match at Hell in a Cell because Becky and Asuka they do good Bianca and Becky, we know what they can do. They, they're solid in the ring when you give them enough time. So all three of these women be able to do something at Hell in a Cell. I can't wait for the matchup personally myself. But that's your Raw uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, on to NXT. The first matchup that happens is Malik Blade and Idris Anafe going against Tony D'Angelo's guys, Troy Two Dimes Donovan and Channing Stacks Lorenzo with Tony D'Angelo in their corner. Tony's guys would win the match by pinfall when two dimes and stacks punch Malik on both sides of his face and then kick him on both sides of his face for the win. After the match, Legato del Fantasma is standing at the entrance ramp and Tony and his guys are in the ring. And then Tony gets on the mic, call Legato out to the ring and tell him, let's do this. Legato obliges. They run into the ring and we get a brawl between both groups. The brawl would continue to happen until the referees and backstage officials would come out and separate both groups, and that's how this thing ends. Personally, for me, in the tag matchup, in the finish, as I was watching this, I hoped that Tony's guys, their tag finish would be Deuce and Domino's old uh, crack them in the mouth. And what that is is that one guy will be holding their opponent's uh, face, just holding it in a position while the other guy ran off the ropes and straight up just give a nice kick i mean just a nice straight blunt kick to the face and that's it i didn't like their finish here i hope they get to like uh 
clean it up and think of other finishers for them. If they don't find one, they can just use that one again. The crack them in the mouth one, use that. I promise you, people will say, okay, it fits the character. It fits the street gang warfare mentality that Tony D'Angelo's group needs. So if they need a finish, use that one. After this, we get Wesley going against Sangha. Sangha wouldn't win the match by pinfall when he chokeslam Wes for the win. This was a classic David versus Goliath, big man versus small man matchup. Wesley came in with uh, ribs wrapped up, so he was damaged. Remember, he got through into uh, the commentary table last week by Von Wagner, so that's the reason why he has ribs taped up. But Sangha did win the match. Sangha Beat up on West, but West beat up on Sangha a lot. So it was about to get 70, 30, 70 on West in this, but the 30% was nothing but power from Pierce Sangha. After the match, Sangha will leave the ring, and as he's walking up the ramp, you will see Zion Quinn on the steel steps, and Zion will get in the ring and walk up to West and start talking to him, looking like he's about to do something to him. But Sangha will get back in the ring and throw Zion to the opposite side of the ring and make sure that West is all right. And once he turns around to look at Zion, Zion looked like he was about to hit Sangha, try to cheap shot him, but Sangha catches him in the act. And Zion Quinn has to retreat out of the ring. So now it looks like Wesley has a guy watching his back in the name of Sangha here. After that matchup, we will have Electra Lopez going against Alba Fire, the formerly known as Kaylee Ray. Alba would win the match by pinfall when she hit a swanton bomb on Electra Lopez for the win. During the matchup, you will see Cora Jade at uh, ringside, more specifically in the crowd, watching the matchup. And after the match, you will see Electra Lopez confront Cora Jade and slap the popcorn out of her hand and told her that she's messing with the wrong woman. Cora Jade was basically out there to basically distract Electra Lopez because Electra said something to Cora and Roxanne Perez last week on NXT. So she paid her back this week. After that, we will have our first NXT breakout semifinals matchup of the night, and it will be Roxanne Perez going against Lash Legend. Roxanne would win the match by pinfall when Lash had Roxanne up in the air for a powerbomb, but Roxanne would counter out of that and hit Pop Rocks, which is known as a Code Red, which is a Sunset Flip powerbomb for the win, so Roxanne does advance to the finals of the breakout tournament. After this, we would get Mandy Rose going against Indy Hartwell, and Mandy would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from the rest of the Toxic Attraction who are fighting with Caden Carter and Katana Chance at ringside towards the end of the matchup. JC Jane and Katana will get in the ring and start fighting with each other. JC will clothesline Katana out of the ring. Then you will see Indy hit JC with a big boot. And then once that happens, you see Indy turn around and start focusing her attention on Mandy, but as soon as she does this, she gets hit with a knee to the face from Mandy Rose, and Rose pins her for the win. After the match, uh, JC and Gigi get attacked by Kaden and Katana, and they're still fighting on the outside of the ring, and they fight into the crowd and into the back, and you see Mandy Rose leave the ring with her NXT championship, and she's standing on the ramp as all this is unfolding, and you see Wendy Chu come out of nowhere well she runs out from the back and hits mandy in the back with a sack and mandy happens to drop to the floor when this happens wendy would then open up her sack and you see footballs soccer balls tennis balls golf balls basketballs basically balls dropping out of the sack you get the innuendo here that they're leaning into uh 
Chu would pick up the NXT Women's Championship, hold it in the air, and Chu looks like she's challenging Mandy Rose next for the NXT Women's Championship. After this, we will have our another breakout uh, NXT breakout semifinals matchup. It is Tiffany Stratton going against Fallon Henley. Well, Fallon Henley. Tiffany Stratton would be replacing the injured Nikita Lyons because during NXT, we would find out that Nikita happened to suffer an injury when she was training. So Tiffany Stratton would basically goat Fallon into a match uh, backstage and Fallon would be suckered into it. So this is how this matchup occurs. So Tiffany wins the matchup when she hits her spinning splash from the second turnbuckle on Fallon for the win. So now Tiffany will be facing Roxanne Perez in the finals of the breakout tournament. I'm cool with this, to be honest with you, because... It's crazy how Tiffany Stratton wasn't in this tournament and Nikita Lyons was. And I don't mean to say that in a bad way is that Nikita Lyons, we all know she's literally up next. You see how NXT has stock in the Nikita Lyons uh, experiment in the Nikita Lyons person, the character. You see that. And it was crazy how she got put in this tournament and not someone like a Tiffany Stratton who they're Luke warm with from time to time they'll sometimes put her on television or and they'll sometimes won't like you get her one week and then probably two weeks later you'll see her back up on here but Nikita she's almost like a week by week situation with NXT so you know they have some stock investing in her so I'm not mad that this injury and I'm using quotations here took out Nikita Lyons and we put Tiffany Stratton in here to basically go against Roxanne in the finals of the breakout tournament. I'm not mad at that. At this, we would get Von Wagner with Robert Stone going against Ikemanjiro. Wagner would win the match by pinfall when Wagner would hit the Death Valley driver on Jiro for the win. Again, this was another David versus Goliath situation. And again, the jacket that Jiro wears during the matchup would be his downfall because Wagner would pull Jiro's jacket over him and this would allow him to hit the Death Valley driver for the win. After the match, Sophia Cromwell will be standing on the ramp and start pointing at the commentary table, instructing Vaughn to throw Juro from inside the ring to the commentary table like he did Wes Lee last week on NXT. Vaughn had Juro up in the air and he was prepared to do it, but you see Josh Brig pull Juro down and start punching Vaughn in the face multiple times, then clothesline him out of the ring. And you see Vaughn Wagner wanted to get back in the ring, but Sophia extends her arm out and it calms Vaughn down so now we got the battle of the big man's coming up not gonna say next week we know it's coming between uh Briggs and Vaughn Wagner it just not it wasn't announced um after this it's time for the main event it's Braun Breaker going against Duke Hudson Duke Hudson would win the match by DQ when Joe Gacy's two guys in the red uh hoods were around the ring area and Braun Breaker was on the outside of the ring, and Braun starts attacking them. And once Braun Breaker got back in the ring, he went after Duke Hudson, but Duke Hudson had a steel chair in his hand, and you see Duke, uh, not Duke, you see Braun grab the chair from Duke, and you see Gacy stand on the ring apron, you see the two hooded dudes get in the ring, and you see Braun just basically trying to fend himself off. He beats up on the two red-hooded guys, he wants to beat up on Gacy, but Gacy drops down off the ring apron. Duke Hudson grabs him, grabs Braun by the shoulder, and Braun basically hits Duke with the steel chair. 
and he does this inadvertently, and the referee sees this, and he calls for the bell. Braun Breaker looks at the referee like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And you hear the ring announcer announce that Duke Hudson won the match by disqualification. Joe Gacy is smiling, and this all worked to Joe Gacy's playing because if you remember, at In Your House next Saturday, Joe Gacy has a match with Braun Breaker for the NXT Championship, and the stipulation for that is that if Braun gets disqualified, he will lose his NXT Championship. So Gacy has been playing up on Braun Breaker throughout the whole night from the beginning of the show, from um, having Braun go into his locker room and see his father's photo with him as a kid with his father in their house on taped up on his locker. You see Braun Breaker have an interview segment earlier in the night and he and during the interview you saw like football play of Braun during high school and he mentioned how his father was supposed to be there but he was on a tour of Japan, a sentimental subject for Braun Breaker and you tell that all that was getting on Braun Breaker throughout the whole night and he just finally happened to snap a little bit and Gacy is planning on playing up on Braun's uh anger whenever they have their matchup at in your house so that's all this whole thing was meant for so Gacy could play up on Braun and basically have Braun lose his focus and hopefully he'll snap and this will give Gacy the edge into their matchup at in your house NXT wasn't bad it wasn't something that Oh my God, I got to go see. It wasn't bad. So that's your NXT uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to AEW Dynamite. Uh, This is their three-year anniversary special. So the first match to start off this special show was the special guest referee for the Steel Cage matchup. It is Sean Spears going against Warlow, who had MGF as the special guest referee. MGF came out in special guest referee gear like Shawn Michaels did when Shawn refereed in the... Um, Triple H going against The Rock in Judgment Day 2000. Yeah, 2000. Uh, so that means he wore like biker shorts and like his own custom out of referee shirt with the um, Burberry type stripe on the shirt. And another thing to this match was that Warlow came out in handcuffs as usual. And when it was time for him to get into the ring and actually do what he had to do, he had to wrestle with handcuffs on because MGF so happened to forget where he placed the handcuff key, so Warlow had to wrestle in the handcuffs until he basically busted the chain so he was actually able to be mobile with his hands. Um, Warlow would win the match by pinfall when Warlow would hit Sean Spears with three power bombs and then hit him with a fourth one on a steel chair because towards the end of the match, you had MJF hold Warlow while Spears had his steel chair in his hand ready to crack Warlow in the head with it, but Warlow would move out of the way, and this would allow Spears to hit MGF by accident in the head, and Spears looked at MGF as MGF was laid out on the mat, and you saw Warlow stand up behind Spears, Spears looked at Warlow, and he accepted his fate, and he got powerbombed, so Warlow now gets his match against MGF at this uh, Sunday's Double or Nothing. And after the match, you saw security guards come in there trying to handcuff Warlow again, but Warlow just beat up on all the security guards that kept on running in, running in and running in and running in. He beat up on all of them. This allowed MGF to sneakily run out of the cage, and the last security guard, Warlow, would pick up and throw him against the steel cage, making him drop and basically hit the mat. Warlow would climb up the steel cage, stand on top of it, and point out 
Max and tell them you're dead at double or nothing. So now it has been official. Uh, I like the steel cage matchup because you know what? It was different. I've never seen somebody actually have to wrestle with handcuffs inside a steel cage. And also, during this match, you had MGF literally being an active participant and really beat up on Warlow a lot in with the advantage that Spears had. Spears should have won this, but for some reason, MGF wasn't attacking Warlow all the time. Even though Warlow couldn't attack MGF, I think this was just another added like thing that they wanted to do for the story of Warlow getting his hands on MGF. So... Uh, job well done with AEW on this one. After this, we will have the face-to-face confrontation with the hangman, Adam Page, the AEW World Champion, and his challenger, CM Punk, because they will be facing each other at Double or Nothing. I'm going to be giving you guys the highlight audio of this confrontation right now. I am grateful to be in the position I'm in. I love all of you fans across the world, and I plan on walking into Sunday, Double or Nothing, the challenger and very respectfully walking out the champion. I don't hate you. I almost pity you. And I have no respect for you and what you've done since you've gotten here. You want this AEW World Championship. You want it. I don't think you understand what it means to be a champion after all these years. I don't think you get it because it's not just about what happens in this ring. It's what happens when that red light turns off. What happens when you go back through the curtain, those small, quiet, moments when you think no one's watching that's what makes a champion you talk a big game about workers rights yeah well you've shown the exact opposite since you've gotten here i love this place i care about this place this is my home and this sunday at double or nothing i will not i will not be defending this championship against you no for the first time in my life i will be defending all elite wrestling from you now as you can hear from hangman's uh voice he has so much vitriol for punk because i think hangman is feeling the exact same way that eddie kingston and mgf feels that cm punk isn't the guy that he's portraying himself to be i think hangman sees cm punk more as an invader or an intruder coming into his home trying to take something away from him Punk is not this guy that's just happy to be here. I'm happy for to be back for the fans. I'm here for them. I'm here to do this and that. No, he, I think Heyman sees what Kingston and MGF sees that Punk is not the guy that he claims to be. Not this happy-go-lucky guy here. No, he has some deep, uh, mischievous, like, ideas for AEW to try to make it to his playground or something. I think... Hangman, in his last thing that you just heard, he's going to be defending AEW from CM Punk. He doesn't want Punk to turn this place into a bitter cesspool the way that everybody thinks. Punk uh, has his reputation for whenever he leaves someplace, he always is bitter towards a company that he was at or certain workers that he used to work with. I mean, I think that's the perception that Hangman is going for with this. And Punk just stood there and took all of it and when hangman was done he told hangman again i didn't play the clip but punk told him listen i'm here because i earned my opportunity to beat to go against you and i'm planning on beating you this is just business this is nothing personal and he told hangman that he's gonna have to shake his hand at the end of the match and then he like nudged hangman to shake his hand now and told him no you're gonna shake my hand right now hangman didn't take kind of that so hangman like didn't shake his hand, but he did punch CM Punk in the face, though. Punk got hit in the face. He landed on the mat, and he just looked at Hangman with a smirk on his face. 
So I think Hangman fell into CM Punk's trap, and this is how CM Punk is going to, if anything, going to try to make Punk, is going to try to make Hangman, like, miscalculate a maneuver at double or nothing and probably slip in and beat him for the championship. That's just my prediction for that. But I'll get into more of the uh, prediction for double or nothing at the end of the show here. Uh, after this, we will have Private Party going against John Moxley and Eddie Kingston with William Regal and the Jericho Appreciation Society at the commentary table to observe this matchup. Kingston and Moxley would win the match by pinfall when Kingston had Quinn in a neck and arm crank, the same maneuver that he beat Jericho with at Revolution. And Moxley would then hit Isaiah Cassidy with the paradigm shift, and you have Moxley pin Isaiah for the win. After the match, you will have Kingston and Moxley run up the ramp to try to get up and meet with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Jericho's group would meet them halfway at the middle of the ramp, and it was a 5-on-1 beat down until Ortiz, Santana, and Brian Danielson would come down to make the save for Kingston and Moxley. Then became a 5-on-5 brawl. Both groups are fighting and brawling with each other until referees and backstage officials will come out to separate both groups. Again, this is another uh, situation to highlight their match that's going to happen at Double or Nothing is the Anarchy in the Arena. Basically, I believe it's an all-no-count-out uh, type situation. I mean, anything goes. They haven't really speculated the rules for this Anarchy in the Arena. They probably will do that at Double or Nothing, but for my best bet, it's probably going to be a no-disqualification. Anything goes, like all-count-out, no-count-outs, all, everything's legal. You can pin somebody outside their... Uh, ring inside the ring, uh, inside the audience. I mean, I just believe anything's basically going to go in the anarchy in the arena matchup, but we'll get more on that uh, at Double or Nothing. After this, we will have our title matchup of the night. The Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship matchup is FTR defending the belts against Rapongi Vice, which is Trent Beretta and Rocky Romero. The match would end in a no contest when New Japan's own United Empire members Jeff Cobb and the Great Khan would run down to the ring and take out both teams when Jeff Cobb would put Dax Hardwood through the timekeeper's table by powerbombing them. They set up another table and they had Great Khan put Trent Peretta through that table by face palm slamming him off the ring apron. They would end up holding the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships in the middle of the ring, leaving both teams decimated. So this tells you that the United Empire, or at least New Japan, has now entered the ring. Well, not Ring of Honor, technically, but AEW's uh, doors, because I believe this is just promotion for their Forbidden the Door event that's coming up in June. So they got to start this off. And I thought they were going to do it at Double or Nothing, but it's glad to see that they did it on this episode, which was nice. After this, we had a triple threat matchup. Jungle Boy versus Swerve Strickland going against Ricky Starks. Swerve would win the match by pinfall when Ricky Starks would hit Swerve with the Rochambeau. Then Jungle Boy would grab Starks and apply the snare trap, which is an STF. Starks would try to hold out for as much as he could, but as it looked like he was about to fade and pass out, Swerve would hit Jungle Boy with the house party kick, which is basically a running side kick to the head. And then Swerve would get to the top turnbuckle and hit a Swerve stomp, which is a double stomp to the shoulders of Starks. Then cover him for the win. So Swerve Strickland got the win, and he has momentum for his team going into their triple threat uh, tag team matchup for the tag team championships at double or nothing. After the match, Powerhouse Hobbs would get in the ring and clothesline both Jungle Boy and Swerve. 
Luchasaurus would then make his way down to the ring, and then he would have a stare down with Hobbs. And then you see Keith Lee's music hit, him walking down to the ring, and he meets the other big men. So now it's the three big men of the groups uh, in the ring. And then you see Hobbs throw punches at both of them, but Keith Lee would knock both of the big men out of the ring, and then Lee would go over, hit a spinning crossbody onto both of the big men outside of the ring. Then Keith Lee would get up, get in the ring, pick up Swerve, and they will celebrate in the ring. Again, adding momentum to this team to go into their matchup for the tag team championships and the triple threat tag match at double or nothing. And this was a matter of fact, if I'm going to be honest with you, this was the highlight match of the night, to be honest with you. Every other match after this was good and all, but this is literally the highlight match. That if you were to tell me pick one match to go back and watch, this will be the one. After this, you had a Thunder Rosa uh, promo. Thunder Rosa comes out there with just no, like, war makeup on her face. She had, like, makeup, like, women makeup, obviously, but, like, none of the half-face-painted type of makeup that she would usually be wearing. Um, She comes out here to show everybody her true face. She talks about this is the real face of a champion, and she talks about how she has been someone that's pushed through adversities and never complained, something that Serena hasn't done. Serena will blame everybody past companies, past employers, everybody for her mistakes instead of looking herself in the mirror. Thunder Rosa will make it clear that she's going to be Serena at double and nothing and still be women's champion. I had no problem with the promo. I had problem with how we're basing this whole thing with Thunder Rosa's uh, title reign here. I don't like how Thunder Rosa just constantly been coming out here, promo, promo, promo. And then I had to recollect myself because I had to do like, okay, when did Britt Baker win the championship? And how many times did we see her on television, like defending the belt? Her first month, she didn't defend her belt. She only defended it like once. And then slowly after that, we started to see her more on television, like entering competition. So if that's the stage that we're going with, I'm cool with that. So now this first month will technically be out of the way. I can't wait to see Thunder Rosa more in the ring because I'm used to a champion being in the ring like, if not weekly, bi-weekly. That's just my preference for that. After this, we will have the Owen Hart Foundation tournament uh, semifinals for the women. It will be Tony Storm going against Britt Baker. Britt Baker will win the match by pinfall, thanks to holding the ropes and a little distraction from Jamie Hayter. Because towards the end of the matchup, Jamie Hayter will make her way down to the ring with Britt Baker already telling Hayter earlier, like, during her entrance to stay in the back, she didn't need nobody's help. Baker would ask Hater what is she doing out here, but Tony would try to sneak up and try to win the matchup by rolling up Britt Baker. Baker would count out, uh, kick out at two. Baker and Tony would continue to fight. Britt would then get Tony up for the air raid, but uh, Tony would slip out of that move and try to pin Britt, but Britt would drop down, grab Tony by one of her legs, pin her, and while the referee wasn't looking, she would grab the second rope, and that's how Britt Baker advances to the finals of the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament for the women's, and now she has to wait uh, until Rampage to see who she'll be going against in the finals at Double or Nothing. Now it's time for the main event of Dynamite. You will have the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament semifinals for the men, Samoa Joe going against Kyle O'Reilly. Samoa Joe would win the match by submission when Kyle O'Reilly passes out when Joe had Kyle O'Reilly in the Coquina Clutch, which is a real naked, rear naked choke. And this was a good match because Kyle O'Reilly and Samoa Joe are basically the same guys. The only thing that is different is that basically uh, Kyle O'Reilly is a skinnier version of Samoa Joe. Joe got weight added on him, and that's about it. Joe and Kyle O'Reilly both play the striking game. They, pull, they both play this uh, submission game. 
They're both ground and pound type wrestlers, so this was a good style for them, and I like the matchup. I just think that the triple threat match was better than this this match, in my personal opinion. But still a great match. Uh, after the match, Samoa Joe would be catching his breath while you hear Adam Cole music hit. Adam Cole will walk out onto the ring, uh, walk out on the stage. Sorry, and he'll look at Joe, and you see Joe looking back at him, and this solidifies our finals for the Owen Hart men's uh, version of the foundation tournament of Adam Cole going against Samoa Joe at double or nothing. And that's how your AEW Dynamite uh, wrestling highlights of the week ends. Now off to Impact Wrestling. Impact will open up with an Ultimate X qualifying matchup between Alex Shelley and Trey Miguel. Trey Miguel would win the match by pinfall when Trey and Alex would trade pinning maneuvers back and forth with each other. But Trey Miguel would get Alex Shelley in a crucifix pin for the win, putting him in the Ultimate X match at anniversary for the X Division Championship. This was your classic X Division style matchup between two guys. Uh, one veteran, Alex Shelley, who's been in TNA for a good while, but he'd be coming in and out of uh, Impact for some time. But a guy that's been with Impact for a good solid, I believe, four years, Trey Miguel. Um, it was classic X Division. Like, these two trading hits back and forth, slamming each other quickly and just moving with a whole fast pace. That's basically what the X Division is, is a revamped version of the Cruiserweight style. And that's what you got here. And the funny thing about this was that they mentioned at the beginning of the matchup that Trey Miguel was wearing white and black tights to pay homage to Alex Shelley, who's been helping him get better in the ring for the past two years. So this was a student versus trainee style matchup. Well, trainer style matchup. And uh, I I like the match a lot. After this, you had Masha Slamovich going against Havoc, who had Rosemary in her corner. This was Masha's first like official knockouts like challenge, and Masha handled it really, really well when she beat Havoc real quickly when she hit the snowplow, which is a Northern Lights driver for the win. I mean, she took care of this really quick. I mean, it was about to get what two, three minutes. It was nothing but striking, and this is telling me that they are putting Masha on the Samoa Joe uh, circa 2005 uh, situation when Samoa Joe came into Impact. He basically had an undefeated streak, and he basically won the X Division Championship real uh, effectively when he beat AJ, nope, Christopher Daniels, I believe, for that title. Either way, I see that's where we're going with Masha here. Masha's going to be the Samoa Joe of the Knockouts Division. She's basically going to be running through uh, Knockouts left and right because after the match you saw Rosemary looking confused as she's never seen anybody like decimate Havoc the way that Havoc got decimated by Masha so that tells you we have a legit threat to the knockouts division with Masha Slamovich taking out uh, Havoc after this we had another knockouts matchup it's Chelsea Green going against Jordan Grace and they gave these two women enough time for them to really just throw fists and slaps and slamming each other I mean these two really went at it. Um, but in the end, Jordan Grace would win the match by pinfall when Grace would hit the Grace driver for the win after both her and Chelsea would try to hit each other with their finish, but Grace would be the one to uh, execute it. Again, two women that just threw hands with each other and they slammed each other. Chelsea Green would try to weasel her way out of it from time to time, but she would ultimately still be willing to uh, do battle with Jordan Grace in this. So again, Nice matchup for the knockouts division. After this, we had 
Chris Saban going against Frankie Kazarian. And this was a match that was 20 years in the making because 20 years ago, they announced it on uh, Impact that this was 20 years ago. It was the battle of the future. And now it's just basically the battle of the veterans who've been in Impact and who's been in the X Division for a long time. Uh, they will have a good match until Honor No More will come out and basically beat up both men, making this match a no contest. And the reason why they did this was because Matt Taven and Mike Bennett went up to Scott Demore and they wanted the Good Brothers at Slammiversary, but Scott Demore told them that the Good Brothers will be facing the Briscoes for the tag titles at the event. So they told Scott Demore that they better get what they want or nobody else will. So this was the ramifications of that. And uh, they're sending Scott Demore a message that they want to be more or less a part of that matchup. And if they don't get what they want, they're going to constantly wreck havoc until they get a part of that matchup. After this, we will have Shira and Raj Singh going against Bupinder Gujir and W. Morrissey. Gujir would win the match for his team by pinfall when Morrissey would take care of Shira by hitting him with a big boot, then clothesline him over the top rope. Then Morrissey would hit a choke slam on Raj, then tag in Gujir, and then Gujir would hit a gargoyle spear, which is a second turnbuckle spear on Raj Singh, then cover him for the win. There was nothing to be said about this. This is character development for W. Morrissey. Because W.C. Morrissey came into Impact, I believe, late 2020. Uh, this was during still COVID time. So this was, I will say about probably about August-ish, give or take. And um, Morrissey's whole demeanor was that he didn't want to team up with nobody. He was a bad guy. He didn't trust nobody, yada, yada, yada. But now, fast forward two years later, almost two, a full two years later, and Morrissey is actually teaming up with somebody. His whole uh, demeanor has changed. He trusts people. He's starting to earn people's trust. So this was good uh, character development for W. Morrissey as a whole, and even commentary picked up on that during this matchup as well. So this shows you exactly the character development that they want to do with Morrissey, and that they're trying to build him up to being one of their top uh, good guys for their company. After this is the main event, six-man tag match, violence by design, going against the Impact champions, the world champion Josh Alexander, and the tag team champions, the Briscoe Brothers. Eric Young would win the match for violence by design by pinfall when Diener and Mark Briscoe were fighting on the top turnbuckle, and the referee was distracted by Joe Diener, well, Joe Doring, and Diener would hit Mark in the head with Eric's hockey mask, knocking Mark Briscoe down on the mat. Then Eric will tag himself in, and then he'll get in and pile drive Mark Briscoe in the middle of the ring, cover him, and win the match for Violence by Design. So this is giving Eric Young some momentum going into his match with Josh Alexander at Slammiversary for the World Championship. This match was a classic uh, group that's been around for so long that knows each other. They know how to work with each other compared to the group that's just going out for vengeance. And this was a good dynamic because, again, this showed that uh, Violence by Design, if you put them all in one match, they will work great against anybody. It doesn't matter who you are, Bullet Club. It doesn't matter if you're uh, Honor No More. It doesn't matter if you're just the team of champions. Violence by Design will come out uh, as the winning team, and that's what happened here. And also, you saw in this matchup that Eric Young didn't want to get no part with Josh Alexander. He always tried to tag himself out. And at one point, he did try to get at Josh, but Josh would always like get the better of him. So again, Eric Young is more or less using this match as a scouting uh, priority to see what he can do against Josh Alexander, see the weaknesses in him, and you saw that during this matchup. So again, great solid match. 
Impact, great show. I like all the in-ring stuff. If you haven't checked out Impact, trust me, you won't be disappointed. Fast forward through the commercials. I guarantee you, you'll at least enjoy this episode of Impact. Now off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with the Usos. They have their first in-ring promo as Unified Tag Team Champions. Uh, They tell the people in the audience to put their ones in the air and tell them to thank the Tribal Chief for allowing them to be champions, allowing them to go out last week and win the Tag Team Championships by themselves. They do a little wink-wink towards the fans, and they start smiling. Then you will see the Usos start taking it down, and Jay will start getting real serious, and he says, I want to go off script for a minute. And he tells the fans that it's been two days to the T since they have stepped foot in the WWE for 12 years. I didn't realize that they bid on the main roster literally for 12 years. And the math does add up because I had to look back because they did go against the Hart Dynasty on Money in the Bank in July 18th, 2020. And they did debut like somewhere around in June. It's just crazy to me. What well, was it June or May? Either way, I remember them debuting. They literally attacked the Hart Foundation. They came up there with Tamina. I remember that whole debut and I was... And I remember knowing exactly who they were because I would usually watch FTW, not FTW, but FCW, the Florida Championship Wrestling, uh, the WWE developmental before he got transformed into NXT, the product that everybody knows now. Um, I knew that. I knew where they came from because I would watch it on YouTube and it was just always a uh, shocking thing when I see guys that nobody knew and I always knew exactly who they were because I was that hardcore fan but anyway uh they mentioned how they've been on main roster they've been in WWE for 12 years and they said that they've been through uh some crazy ups and downs and everybody has seen them gone through it the fans have seen them all through it because they might there aren't with their families every day because obviously they're on the road a lot of the time so the fans and the crowd usually have to be there for them. They've given them energy. they booed them. they cheered them. The Usos went through all that type of stuff. And they just want to say from the bottom of their hearts, they want to thank uh, them. And it's so sentimental. It's so uh, very, very emotional at this moment. And then they had to snap right back out of it. And they said, but the only people that they really needed was absolutely nobody. They needed each other. And they just started getting booed by everybody. And they start talking about how they beat RK Bro last week, putting Orton on the shelves and making kids cry. Then Nakamura's music will hit, and Nak will challenge the Usos to a match for the tag team titles. The Usos will ask Nak, who's your partner? Is it Peg Leg Pete? And they were referring to Rick Boogs, and they even mentioned how they took him out of WrestleMania. Nak told him that his partner wanted to go against them by themselves. But... He asks them if it was cool to join him, and the partner says, cool. And Nakamura introduces the partner, and it's Riddle. So Nak and Riddle will make their way down to the ring, and once they got in the ring apron, the Usos would attack them. Riddle will slide into the ring. The Usos will get a two-on-one advantage, beating up on Riddle until Nakamura gets in the ring. Now it's a two-on-two until Riddle slides out. Now it's back to two-on-one. Ultimately, Riddle will get on the top turnbuckle, hit a floating bro onto the Usos, and the Usos would retreat and walk to the back and it was confirmed that on the next Monday Night Raw episode it will be Nakamura and Riddle going against the Usos in a tag team championship contenders matchup meaning if Nakamura and Riddle do beat the Usos they will get a tag team title shot 
After this, we will have our first match of the night. Raquel Rodriguez going against Ronda Rousey. Now, before the match happened, we would go backstage and we would see Shotzi try to motivate the women back there. You had Shotzi, you had Zia Lee, you had Aaliyah, Shayna Baszler, and Natalia. Shotzi would try to motivate them and say to them that they're back here and Raquel has another opportunity that she's going to squander away. And Shotzi just tried to motivate the troops to go out there and do something about it. So you see everybody leave out of the room. Shotzi's the last one to leave, but she goes to grab the door and try to leave out of the room. But she's locked in. She bangs on the door, say, hey, I'm locked in. And then we go and get a camera shot of Aaliyah standing on the outside of the door. And she has the key to the door. And she locks Shotzi in because Shotzi locked her in uh, last week or two weeks ago, whenever Ronda was on SmackDown. I don't know if it was last week, two weeks ago. Either way. No, it was two weeks, because Raquel went against Shotzi last week. So two weeks. So go to in-ring competition. Raquel and Ronda, they have their master in about a good, what, five minutes into the matchup. But then you see Shayna Baszler and Natalia come to the ring, and they will attack Raquel. Because, again, Shotzi motivated him to, let, to grab the opportunity instead of squandering it. So you will see a divide and conquer element. Natalia will go after Ronda and Shayna Baszler will go after Raquel. And now we got a tag team matchup on our hands with Raquel and Ronda going against Natalia and Shayna Baszler. Ronda and Raquel would win the match when Raquel would hit the Tahana Bomb, formerly known as the Chicona Bomb on Shayna Baszler for the win. And even Pat McAfee had to say the Tahana Bomb. So I knew I wasn't the only one that thought that it was weird how WWE was kind of muting the Chicona bomb, the Chicona, on the name last week. So I said it last week that they were renaming it. I thought they were, they were doing that, and this week confirmed it. Either way, um, this tag me this tag match, excuse me, was a special one to me because we're slowly approaching that Shayna Baszler going against Ronda Rousey element because those two did not touch in this matchup, and I was hoping that they wouldn't. I was hoping that they would not touch in this matchup. And they almost did at one point because when Ronda and Shayna backed into each other at one point, you see them turn around, they looked at each other, they smiled up, and they looked like they're about to go at it. But you see Natalia pull Ronda out of the ring, and that's whenever uh, Raquel was able to do the Tahana Bomb onto Shayna. Shayna Baszler and Ronda are friends in real life, and WWE touches on it. The commentators touch on it. So it's a good thing that you are able to build that story. So whenever it finally happens, when Ronda goes against Shayna Baszler, and it's going to happen, hopefully, if WWE doesn't release uh, Shayna Baszler or something happens to Ronda, um, we're going to get that matchup. So whenever we do get it, it's going to feel special. That's the reason why I'm glad that they were able to hold off on this. Um, after this, we have another tag matchup. Los Lotharios, Angel Garza, and Humberto going against Jinder Mahal and Shanky. Humberto would win the match by pinfall when Jinder was distracted, looking at Shanky dancing behind Angel, who was busy dancing for the SmackDown ring announcer, Samantha Irvin, and Shanky would bop Angel on the head and kick him in the face. Uh, with Jinder looking at this, this allowed Humberto to hit Jinder with a springboard insiguri on Jinder, then pin him for the win, so Los Lotharios have the win for this match. After the match, you see Jinder look at the replay, and once he saw see what he saw, 
he starts blaming Shanky for the loss because Shanky wasn't taking the match serious. Shanky would tell Jinder to hush and put his hand in Jinder's face. Jinder would walk away, and then you see Shanky turns his attention to Samantha, the SmackDown ring announcer, and start dancing again. So it seems to me that we're seeing that we're making Shanky this dancing, lovable, like, tall guy. That's exactly what we're doing with this. And have a gender just be like the mean, old, uh, salty guy towards the young guy just trying to have fun. I want to see how far we go with this. I don't think this is going to last too long, personally. But we'll see what we got. After this, Kevin Owens will make a special uh, Kevin Owens show appearance on SmackDown. And his guest was advertised as being a member of the Bloodline. But instead... We got Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn, again, who's coming out with a Bloodline t-shirt. He comes out, he meets up with his best bud, Kevin Owens. And at first, Kevin Owens and Sami were appealing to each other with Kevin Owens calling Sami the locker room leader of SmackDown and how uh, he tells Sami how he's been killing it on SmackDown, doing great work for the Bloodline. And then you see Sami return a favor, telling Kevin Owens that Ezekiel and Elias are the same person, and he sees it, and everybody else sees it. And then you see Kevin Owens just like walk up to Sammy and hug him and tell him that he knew he could trust Sammy to see things his way and tell Sammy to basically come back with them to Raw to expose these liars. That's the reason why Kevin Owens is here. Sammy tells Kevin it's a bad time because he's the locker room leader of SmackDown right now and he has a whole lot on his plate right now with the bloodline stuff and Kevin Owens has to sit back in his chair and he looks at Sammy and he says... I forgot about this side of you, this naive side. So Kevin Owens has to let Sammy know that he isn't a part of the bloodline. Sammy tells Kevin Owens that everything he said before was a lie because he wanted to appease Kevin Owens and that Ezekiel and Elias are two different people. Now you get a shouting contest and a name calling contest between Sammy Zane and Kevin Owens, like five-year-old children. Kevin Owens would pull Sammy's punk card and basically tell him, yo, why did the bloodline leave you high and dry or raw if you were so tight with them? Kevin Owens would then elevate the punk card pulling and say, you know what, if you're so tight with them, why don't I call them out and let's see if they come out. He calls out the bloodline. Nobody from the bloodline comes out. Kevin Owens says, maybe they didn't hear me. So he says it louder. And the bloodline. So still no response. The bloodline doesn't come out. Sami Zayn, now feeling deflated and feeling embarrassed, tells Kevin Owens that he doesn't know what he's talking about and then leaves the ring. Kevin Owens, now seeing his buddy looking sad, he would follow Sammy and tell him, hey man, listen, just come with me to Raw. We can leave all this stuff behind. You'll be okay. Kevin Owens puts his hands on Sammy. Sammy quickly turns around to shove Kevin Owens off of him and tell him that he needs to go back to Raw and stay there and leave me alone. So you see Sammy walk away from Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens looks stunned as he sees his buddy just walk to the back. And then Kevin Owens will look at the ring and see two stagehands moving his Kevin Owens signs. And Kevin Owens will get in the ring and basically stun both of them. And then laughing about it and leave out of the ring. So Kevin Owens was here basically to put a wrinkle into the Sami Zayn bloodline story. And we would get more continuation into that because later in the night, you will see Sammy walk up to the Usos and ask them, what is he to them? And then he starts asking them. He knows he's not blood to the bloodline, but can he be an honorary member of the bloodline? You see Jimmy say, yeah, sure, why not? 
and you see Jay look at Jimmy for a minute, but Jimmy just gives Jay the head nod. And you see Sammy just start getting so excited. And he says, listen, whatever you guys need, you know, I'm there. And if I ever need anything, and Jay has to stop and say, yeah, yeah, I know. You can, we'll be there for you. And then he starts walking away into Roman Reigns' locker room. Roman Reigns was not on SmackDown tonight, by the way. So now it is confirmed Sami Zayn is an honorary member of the Bloodline. Now, after this whole situation gets done, we would go to another tag matchup of Ricochet and Drew Gulak going against Gunther and Ludwig Kaiser. Ludwig would get the win for his team by pinfall when Ludwig would hit a punt kick to Drew Gulak's chest, then pin him. That's all that needs to be said for that after the match. Ricochet will look at Drew to make sure he's all right, and then Gunther would boot Ricochet in the face. Gunther would yell at Ludwig to kick Drew again in the chest, which Ludwig does. And you know what we're building up to. Gunther going against Ricochet is going to be for the Intercontinental title win. It's not going to be at Hell in the Cell. We're probably going to build it up to Money in the Bank, I say. That's what I think we're building it up to, but we're slowly building it with basically Drew Gulak being the catalyst for uh, Ricochet to go against Gunther, more or less for being a bully to Drew Gulak. Now it's time for the main event, the six-man tag matchup of Sheamus, Butch, and Ridge Holland going against a team of Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston, The New Day, and their mystery partner, who turns out to be Drew McIntyre. Xavier Woods would get the win for his team when Drew would hit Ridge Holland with a Claymore kick, then he tags in Xavier, and then Xavier would hit a springboard elbow onto Ridge for the win. This was a nice six-man tag match at the end. You know what it is. They start getting chaotic, six guys. Two of them start, two of the uh, members of each team start fighting on the inside of the ring while the rest will fight on the outside. And that's what led to the end of Ridge and Drew being the last two guys technically in the ring until Claymore kick, tag, Xavier, elbow drop. And that's how SmackDown ends with Xavier Woods, Kofi, and Drew McIntyre standing tall on SmackDown. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. Rampage started at 6.30 on a Friday, a special time. And the first match of the night was Brian Danielson going against Matt Seidel. Brian Danielson wouldn't win the match by referee stoppage when Brian would hit uh, multiple elbows on Matt Seidel in the chest, then applied the guillotine choke on Matt, and Matt would fade, making the referee stop the match. So Brian Danielson won by referee stoppage. Good match between the two. Uh, the commentary picked up on this a lot that they only wrestled twice, and both of those matches were in Ring of Honor, and Brian Danielson won both of those matches, so this was basically a match for Matt Seidel to try to win to at least gain some type of uh, win column against Brian Danielson, but that didn't happen, and also, this is Matt Seidel's second match since having, uh, they say, knee surgery, so Matt Seidel couldn't do as much uh, springboard stuff. He had to wrestle cautiously. Same thing with Brian Danielson. They mentioned how Brian Danielson got his uh, foot caught in between the ring and the stage last week after Rampage got cut off. So Brian Danielson and Matt Seidel were both basically being careful in this matchup, and they were trying to see who's going to uh, pick out each other's weak spots. Brian Danielson did, and that's what led to the win for Brian. After the match, we have the Young Bucks, who comes out in old Hardy's gear. Well, technically, no. They come out in Hardy's gear that they're wearing now, but they bring out Gangrel as their manager. 
as well as Brandon Cutler, who's dressed in uh, Team Extreme Lita gear, except for the red wig. He's not wearing that. Going against Taylor Rust and John Cruz. Matt and Nick would win the match when they hit the Twist of Fate and Swanton combo on John Cruz, and Nick would cover him for the win. After the match, Gangrel would get in the win, lift up the hands of the Bucks, and then the Bucks would attack him. The Bucks were going to hit the BTE trigger on him, but the Hardys would come out and make the save. The Hardys would then go face-to-face with the Bucks, kick both of the Bucks in the gut, look to hit the Twist of Fate on him, but Brandon Keller would get in the ring and hit the Hardys from behind, which would allow the Bucks to leave out of the ring and escape. You would then see Brandon Cutler get hit with an Impaler DDT, which is basically a jumping DDT by Gangrel. Then the twist of face wonton combo from the Hardys onto Brandon. So again, this was just basically to elevate and uh, put more fire onto the... No, put more gas onto the fire of the Hardys going against the Young Bucks at double or nothing tomorrow, Sunday. After this, we had Max Caster going against Dante Martin. This is a rematch from their first match that they had on the first ever AEW Dark Elevation, where Max Caster won that. Dante Martin would win this one by pinfall when he hits the nosedive, which is a double springboard moonsault onto Max Caster for the win. Uh, It was an alright matchup. Again, we're putting a lot of eggs into the Dante Martin basket and i see why again they want to make a future with him but also before the match started you had max caster coming out with the gun club and also anthony bowens they're now a unit they're now a faction so the crowd loved them so it's good to give them some airtime before the matchup happened too but uh the referee would send the gun club and anthony bowens to the back because they got uh they did interfere in the matchup before the match officially began so it was a one-on-one contest after this, we had the men of the year and Dan Lambert coming out in the middle of the ring because Dan Lambert talked about how he paid somebody. He had belt collectors like a belt maker already on speed dial to make Scorpio Sky a new TNT title since his last TNT title got destroyed by Sammy Guevara and Kazarian last week on Rampage. And he has the new and improved TNT title of Scorpio Sky's image. And once he unveiled the TNT title, it's basically the TNT title on gold uh, leather with purple on the back and also purple like where the script where it would say champion on it. It has purple on that script as well. So basically giving off the Lakers colors because Scorpio Sky is from California and he loves the Lakers. So there you go with that. After you see Dan Lambert give Scorpio Sky his new and improved version of the TNT title, you will see Ty Conti, Sammy Guevara, and Kazarian pop up on the screen. And they're outside of America Top Team. They basically bust into America Top Team. They bust the cases where the championships that American Top Team members uh, won their championships. Basically, UFC uh, titles. They had a replica of the TNT title. Uh, they had other MMA championships there. Even the BMF championship that... Jorge Masvidal beat uh, Nate Diaz for one-on-one. They take the BMF championship. They take one of the UFC current uh, design championships, and they take an old UFC championship, like the one that they had before this new version of it, and they basically tell Dan that if you want these titles back, you got to meet us at uh, Double or Nothing, and 
bring Paige Van Zandt along. Scorpio Sky agrees, and it's going to be a six-man matchup. It's going to be Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky, and Paige Van Zandt going against Ty Conti, Sammy Guevara, and Kazarian. And the condition that Scorpio put on is that when his team wins, both Kaz and Sammy cannot challenge for the TNT title for as long as Scorpio has it. So we have another match for Double or Nothing tomorrow night on Sunday. After this, we have our main event of the night, Owen Hart Foundation Women's Tournament semifinals. Chris Statlander going against Ruby Soho. This match was match of the night. Ruby would win the match by pinfall when Chris would try to get Ruby in the spider crab submission, but Ruby would be kicking Chris in her left shoulder, and Chris would let go of the grip. Ruby would then kick Chris in her injured knee, dropping Chris, and then Ruby would roll Chris up for the win. After the match, Britt Baker would come out on stage with a mic, but Ruby would get a mic of her own until Britt to drop her mic. The fans would boo Ruby. Ruby told him that she knows she's a fan of Chris too, but this tournament means so much. And Ruby tells Britt that Chris is a friend of hers, and you saw what I did to her. I don't like you, so imagine what I'm going to do to you. And she reminds Britt that she told her that at AEW Grand Slam last year that she has a receipt coming her way, and now that receipt's time to cash in. So Rampage ends with Ruby Soho beating Chris Stantlander to meet Britt Baker at Double or Nothing in the Owen Hart Women's uh, Tournament Finals. And that's AEW Rampage for you. Now, before I get out of here, let me give you my AEW Double or Nothing uh, predictions. I am looking at this card, and this card has straight up 12 matches with one included also being the pre-show. So altogether, that's 13 I don't know what Tony Khan was thinking of this one. I can tell you right now, some of these matches could just straight up get clipped off and you could put them on an AEW Dynamite card or a Rampage card. I'm being blunt with you. Not all these matches need to be on this pay-per-view, but whatever. We'll we'll go with it. Uh, For the TBS Championship, Jay Cargill going against Anna Jade. Jay Cargill's winning. This match could have been on a Dynamite or Rampage. Six-man tag matchup. House of Black going against Death Triangle. Again, another match that could have been on Rampage or Dynamite because this is a cold match. Uh, I give it to House of Black. They need it more than Death Triangle. House of Black hasn't been on AEW television in a minute, and whenever they do be on there, it's not for long periods of time. The Lucha Brothers and Pac, they already are an established uh, singles and a team on AEW as a franchise, they're already established. You need to establish the House of Black more, so I give this win to House of Black. Tag team matchup, the Hardys versus the Young Bucks. This match could have been on Double or Nothing, and it should have been on Double or Nothing, but they needed to build this one, and I'm going to get into AEW with building whenever uh, I get into my review of AEW Double or Nothing this Monday after I see the pay-per-view. I give this one to the Hardys. Because the Young Bucks don't need it. The Hardys just coming together. Jeff just got on to AEW. This is his first pay-per-view for AEW. The Hardys are going to win this. That's just my approach to this. Uh, Anarchy in the arena. The Jericho Appreciation Society going against Kingston, Santana Ortiz, and Brian Danson and Moxley. I see Jericho's group winning this. The reason why I say this is because you got Kingston, who's a hothead, and Brian, who's going to try to cool down Kingston at certain points. We already start seeing some dysfunction there at one point. 
I think the dysfunction of Kingston with mixed in with him not liking Brian Danielson and Danielson might screw up one moment or Kingston might screw up one moment is going to really send that team over the edge and make them lose. So I see Jericho Appreciation Society winning. And if anything, I see the blow off like of this whole feud being Kingston versus Jericho in a one on one contest to end it all. That's just how I see it is all ending like in the legit future. After this, MGF versus Warlow. With the stipulation, if Warlow wins, he's granted his release from his contract with MGF. And if MGF wins, Warlow will be permanently banned from signing with AEW. Warlow's winning this. The stipulations make it so clear. Warlow's going to be granted his freedom from MJF. And now there's going to leave MJF in a space where he's going to be basically floating and trying to figure out what he's going to do with himself. He can go into the TNT championship situation or he can go into the heavyweight stuff or we can see mgf literally go away for a little bit of time and really recollect uh recollect himself i'm sorry and figure out what his next plan is going to be and when the next time we see mgf he could be that big surprise because mgf going away and collecting himself is going to be one of those things that is going to make the heart fond of when he leaves because we're going to really get the first glimpse of, oh my God, this is AEW without MGF. And make the fans really wonder, where's MGF? Where is he? Why isn't he on television? So I see Warlow winning this, and MGF is going to be gone for a good couple of weeks or even a month or two. And then when MGF pops back, all will be forgiven. He'll be able to just pop into a championship opportunity. That's the way I see it, and that's the way I would book it. Um, after this, the women's, woman, uh, the women's Owen Hart tournament finals Britt Baker versus Ruby Soho I say Ruby needs to win this Dr. Britt Baker does not need to win this she does not need it she was the longest reigning well she was close to being the longest reigning AEW women's champion because she only had to last till this double or nothing then she would have been the longest reigning but I digress uh Ruby Soho needs to win this because Ruby hasn't been on Dynamite long she hasn't been a a rampage long she Stop and start on Dynamite and Rampage. You'll see her one week, three weeks or four weeks later. She'll pop up again. Ruby needs this because Ruby needs to progress more in the women's division. And the women's division need to progress than just it being surrounded by Britt Baker and being held by Britt Baker. Somebody else needs to get in that position and hold it up with Britt Baker and Jay Cargo because Jade is holding it up as well. I don't ever want to disrespect Jade like that. So... Ruby Soho needs to win this. For the men's tournament, you have Samoa Joe versus Adam Cole, and it says that Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and uh, Saddam Singh are barred from ringside. I see, you know what? Uh, this one's hard. Because for me personally, I can see Adam Cole winning this. I really can. I can see Adam Cole winning this because Joe has the Ring of Honor TV title. I can see some shenanigans of Red Dragon and all this type of guys coming in. And probably even a New Japan guy like a Jay White popping in to help out Adam Cole beat Samoa Joe or somebody from Bullet Club helping Adam Cole. As a matter of fact, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping somebody from Bullet Club pops in or somebody from Undisputed Elite. But it will be a better shocking, surprising moment if somebody from Bullet Club helps Adam Cole win this match against Joe and him win the Owen Hart uh, Tournament Finals. So I'm going with Adam Cole. The three-way for the AEW World Tag Team Titles, Jurassic Express, Team Taz, or Keith Lee and Swerve. I want to go with Swerve and Powerhouse Hobbs. And that's what I'm going with because they, again, are another group of guys who, 
again had stop and start situations in 2021. Ricky Starks, he didn't have a good 2021. He only was around in the first, like, what, two months of AEW in 2021 in ring competition. And then he started get back in ring competition in late 2021, like on and off. Powerhouse Hobbs, same thing. He'll pop in on AEW Dynamite and pop out. So for them to win the tag team titles here, I think it'll be great for Team Taz. And Team Taz needs a win. I'm just going to be plugged with you. And also, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, they had great tag matches with everybody, but I see that we're leaning into a Christian and Jungle Boy getting into something sooner rather than later. And Keith Lee and, uh, Keith Lee and Swerve, yeah, cool, they're a great tag team, but Keith Lee and Swerve are singles guys, in my personal opinion. Keith Lee is definitely a singles guy. He can go out and win a TNT title if he wants to. He can go out and do heavyweight division stuff if he wants to for the heavyweight title. Swerve, same thing. I see him as a TNT or a heavyweight guy, but I see him more going to the TNT first before he does the heavyweight stuff. So, Team Taz. Thunder Rosa, Serena Deed. Thunder Rosa, her first... No, this isn't going to be her first defense. This is her second defense, but her first defense on a major pay-per-view. Thunder Rosa's winning this, hands down. Kyle O'Reilly versus Darby Allin. This match doesn't need to be here. They could have scrapped this and put it onto a Dynamite or a Rampage. Uh, Darby Allen, he's beating Kyle O'Reilly. This six-person mixed tag match, Sammy Guevara, Kazarian, Ty Conti, going against Scorpio, Page, and Van Zant. This one, again, another one that could be scrapped, put onto Dynamite or Rampage. Uh, I'm going with Sammy, Frankie, and Ty because you need people to go after the TNT title. But if they do lose, I'm not going to complain about it because you got other people that's going to be willing to step up and this could drop and add another layer into the douchebaggery of Sammy and Ty Conti situation. You could easily add that onto their uh, card on make them mold that into them being douchebags onto the AEW roster. Again, Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti, I want them to be the modern-day version of Edge and Lita. Everybody hates them. It's so easy to do it. Just do it. And then in our main event, the Hangman... Adam Page going against CM Punk for the AEW World Championship. This one's a tough one. Because, again, I, you guys constantly hear this from me. If you've been hearing the wrestling highlights from me. I say Hangman's championship run hasn't been, like, the best in, when, in like, storytelling. Because if you look at it, he's not on television that much. And when he is on television, he's, like, in a segment. And it's not the main event segment. It's, like, the earlier moments of the show segments. Or um, he's in a match, but the match means nothing. But and then after that, he's off television for a what a week or two, and then he pops right back up. It makes no. When you're a world champion, you have to be on television every single week, and they have to treat you like a world champion. They have to put you literally at the end of the show and make you be the legit star of the show because you are holding the centerpiece of the show. You are holding their biggest prize the prize that every man on that roster wants to have so you need to so you need to be the legit center and focal point of AEW and for me hangman's championship reign hasn't been that he's been laid back with the world championship that's just my personal opinion the matches that he's had they have been kick butt you can watch them over and over again they have been great matches him going against Lance Archer him going against Brian Danson twice. Him going against Adam Cole twice. 
I mean, his matches for the heavyweight titles are all great, but he needs to have that storyline element to match the match qualities of which he's having. Giving it off to CM Punk, you can do that. Do I think it'll be a right thing and also being poetic because we're in Las Vegas, the exact location that kind of lit the spark for CM Punk to be a main event in the world's eyes? I already knew he was a main event before the pipe bomb situation, but it solidified it more with the actual world, what, 11 years ago in 2011? So, for me, I'm going with Punk. Punk winning would make a better option. It'll be a better situation. That's just me. But with Forbidden Door coming up, ugh, Punk versus Okada, I don't see Okada style being the style of Punk. So, God. You know what? I got to backtrack it. I'm going with Hangman. I got to do it. Got to go with Hangman because if this wasn't Forbidden Door next month, I would say CM Punk. But since Forbidden Door is literally next month, I got to go with Hangman because I feel that we're going to have a champion versus champion type situation and i see okada or if not okada jay white hangman being jay white they have a story to that because hangman was in bullet club at one point and you could build a story off that but hangman's the winner that's my decision if forbidden door didn't happen i would say cm punk but hangman's winning this and that's your uh aew double or nothing uh predictions but again i'm gonna get into the review on Monday, and personally, I'm going to watch some of these matches to see if I was right. When some of these matches could have been on Dynamite or Rampage, in which you look at the list, you can say, "Oh yeah, some of these matches." You can easily pick the ones that I picked to say, "Yeah, those don't belong on a pay-per-view card." But that has been your wrestling highlights of the week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I love you guys. Hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys have a great Memorial Day. Um, I want you guys to tune into my Sunday episode. It's called Again and Again, and you guys can probably guess the tragedy that happened um, this past Tuesday. A good majority of the episode is going to be dedicated to uh, the children that lost their lives and talking to America, just talking to America and talking to the civilians that are in America and just want you guys to think about a couple things. But... You guys will hear that on Sunday when you guys hear it. If you don't, hey, tune in to my Monday episode of when I give the review of AEW Double or Nothing. With that, enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. I love you guys. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please be careful on the roads. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, I am him. I love you guys. This isn't goodbye. This is here until you hear the sweet Sunday voice again. And with that, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.